Okay, we started. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Stories Out of Time and Space. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and as always, I'm joined by my fellow astronaut, Julian Darren. Julian, how are you doing? You okay? Uh, I've just come back from a trip, and I'm going to stumble around, and there may be something inside of me. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. As long as you're going to stumble around, is it because it, is it your legs? <laughs> is it your legs? We'll explain that one in a bit. Um, yes, I'm good, thank you. Uh, we 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 we're sort of um, recapping in an episode. Well, we've gone back. We've watched um, a, a, a sequel to the film we're talking about today. Um, we're going to be talking about uh, the Quatermass experiment, or as it was released el- elsewhere, the Creeping Unknown from <laughs> 1955, um, the first Hammer adaptation of. Uh, a Quatermass TV show, and um, I'm gonna—I'll ask you actually what you thought of this first <laughs> before before I give my thoughts. But uh, yeah, so it's, it's the, the first Quatermass film to come out from from uh, from Harrow. But what were your thoughts when uh, watching this? Well, I think it's very uh, sort of uh, Twilight Zone esque. Mm. Uh, I I like the Lovecraftian elements mm. of it. I mean, you know, interestingly, the the other Quatermass had that too, um, and I think that although you know, I wonder when did you give up being a rocket scientist? Uh, <laughs> but outside of that, um, no, I mean, I I think that it's a little uneven in terms of how it tells its plot. Like, you know, there are things that it's just like, oh, the 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 camera's broken. That's not going to be an issue. And then it's like, oh, we found the film. Now let's watch yeah. it. You know. It's a little uneven just in terms of how it, it, it sort of telegraphs what it's doing. But I like the basic story. It's sort of like a combination of uh, Lovecraftian horror with sort of like uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Um, it, it's good stuff. Yeah, I, I, I do like this film. Um, and I, I do like sort of you know, quite a lot about it. I do like to say this, this idea of um, this thing from space that sort of attaches itself to uh, the, this astronaut, uh, Karun. And like you said, the fact that, like, you know, they talk about in the film about invasion, but I don't, I don't see it that way. It's just a thing that's living its life cycle and, you know, mm. is using Karun as a host. And there's some great moments. The guy who plays Karun doesn't really say much in the entire film. But Jesus is he menacing at times. <laughs> when, he's sat in the white, when he's sat in that car with his wife, and just looking mm. at her, uh, it's really creepy. Um, so yeah, no, there are moments in them I really enjoyed. There's some really good stuff. The story's good, um, and, and you know, the the problem I have with this one is Quatermass. Um, my I was Quatermass, wondering, is it yeah, Yank? 
<laughs> he is. He is. My Quatermass is Andrew Keir, which is the 1967 um, Quatermass in the pit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's who I sort of like see as, as Quatermass. But in in this, like he should like him being an American's less of an issue. I'm not so bothered by that. It's more the fact that at times in this film, I almost see him as the villain. Yes. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Like, his attitude towards these astronauts and towards what's going on is so dismissive <laughs> and arrogant that it's it's really off-putting. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, but the other thing is that like you said there's, there's leaps in logic, and the thing we have to remember about this is it's an hour and hour and a half, so it's almost ninety minutes. This film, um, but it's based on a six-episode. Um, TV show from the from the year previous. It was it was broadcast in fifty four from the BBC, and it was broadcast as a live TV show, uh, TV things. So mm. It was all record. It was it, it was broadcast live and wasn't fully recorded. So large wow. portions of it have now been lost. So you can't see the whole broadcast. So it's based on six half an hour episodes. So there's an hour and a half's worth of worth of storytelling that are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shows in places, as you said, like this whole there's you know there's, there's um, bits and pieces like you said, like you said, the film is the best bit where they're like, we can't read the film's broken, the camera's destroyed. We have some of the film, but it'll look dark and you know, with the grey and grainy, and you watch it and you go, looks like the rest of the film is fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I'm quite fine with it. Um, yeah, so there's these obviously these leaps where they've sort of they've had to miss out chunks of subplots and all this other thing, and they they completely changed the ending as well, which we'll get onto. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, well, I, yeah, I watched the uh, the Turner Classic Movies uh, version mm. where somebody comes on at the end and they say uh, they talked about how the ending was changed. Um, but yeah, I mean, getting to to Quatermass uh, and how like I thought right away he comes off as very. It's not that he's. It's I, first of all, I don't know why he's an American working <laughs> working on a British I in Britain yeah. on a private rocket program. Apparently, so th- th- this is yeah. This is. I mean, the, the, we'll get to the whole the fact this is a private rocket like, organization launching rockets into space without asking any permission. Um, it was a hammer decision to make it more appealing outside of the mm-hmm. UK. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Uh, he's, and, very, and, uh, he's very much like a stereotype of an American, though. Like he's very <laughs> John Wayne. He's very like brash, um, and he's he's the almost like a parody of like a, an American industrialist. Like you know, yes. you know the, those Yanks. They're all super confident. They say, "This is my. I'm Henry Ford. This is my job." I, right away, one of the one of the first things he says is like, uh, "I wrote this down." He says, um, "You know, like okay, the rockets come back." <laughs> You know, clear, clearly, like, you know, the crew, two-thirds of the crew is dead. Yeah. One, the other one is, like, obviously insane and terribly damaged. And Quatermass says, I launched it and I brought it back. That's quite an achievement. <laughs> you know? and, like, there's no concern whatsoever for these people. Uh, there's a bet that, that I love that because that's one of the ones I wrote down. Because then later on, uh, one of them talks about, uh, or someone confronts him about this happening. And about the sort of the way it landed or it crashed, and he actually says something along as "I'm a scientist, not a fortune teller." And in my head, I'm straight away going, "No, no, no! Part of a job science so, is to, to to predict what's going to happen. So you should have. Did you not have a return plan for this rocket? Was it like 
Because like you say, he says, I got a spaceship up and I got it back. No, it crashed. <laughs> so yeah. you didn't technically get it back. Yeah. It's He's basically uh, Disney's Tony Stark before the Avant Le Mo, you know? He's yeah. that, that kind of like arrogant prick. Yes, he is. And he's all, you know, it's played by uh, uh, Brian Dunleavy. And um, he's in the second one as well. There's a there's a one called Quatermass too, and it's clear they have a word with him because <laughs> <laughs> um, they're a bit like, can you can you be less Brian Dunleavy? I I know that you are Brian Dunleavy. Can you just be a bit less of that? Uh, and he's actually a lot better in the second one. Um, but it's even the end of this film. Mm. We'll, and we'll get to it. Like he remains the villain. Like there should there's. My recollection of this, I actually admit I haven't watched this one for a year or two, was that he learned a lesson that you know he loses these astronauts and stuff. But no. they almost, but the no. exclamation mark at the end of the film is literally that he hasn't because they say to him he walks out like we completely you know of the, he walks out the finale and they say well what do we what will you do next? And he says I'll go back I, I shall go back to launching my next spaceship, and it ends with the spaceship taking off and you're just yeah. like. Right. Well, he hasn't learned anything. This film was pointless. Well, <laughs> who I would mean, work with him? I think that's uh, you know, I think that's kind of. He says, "I'm going to start again." Yeah, I, I I like that. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's like okay. So so let's back up a second and say that you know, um, much like uh, the original Fantastic Four origin, right? Like mm. before we got into space. Who the hell knows what's up there, right? And yeah. who knows what we're going to encounter? And so this is actually much like it was, you know, at some earlier point, it was totally responsible to think, hey, maybe all of these planets have life and civilizations on them in our solar system. Uh, what 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 a wonderful vision to be able to believe in. Um, but by this point, um, it is totally responsible to think, yeah, you know, maybe we will encounter alien life and there could be something in, you know, the, the space neighboring, you know, the upper atmosphere or space neighboring Earth. Obviously very unlikely, but, you know, that's not an irresponsible thing to think, right? Like, yeah. we don't know what we're going to encounter when we open this sort of Pandora's box. And then you merge that with the idea of... um Aliens are not going to be like us, right? Like they're mm -hmm. going to be here. This is an so an energy alien that, like, you know, you know, kills organic things that it touches, and then like possesses somebody and kind of deteriorates them as a host. Um, it's all sort of vague, as it probably should be, because there's no rule book for uh, I'm mm. an alien. See, and here's how my body works. <laughs> uh, you know. Um, but all that stuff is is kind of cool, and so to me, I thought I saw the ending as yeah, Quatermass is a dick. He's he's the sort of it's it's going to happen again. But it's that kind of like classic horror ending of like or sci-fi ending of like the end or is it? You know, like yeah. we're gonna go back up there, and whether it's in this fictional world where you know it might happen again, or in the real world where who knows, it could be the end of humanity. Uh, you know, it nearly was in this film. Um, it, it's just that that kind of ending that that lets it be open ended and lets it uh, apply to our world. 
Yeah, and I, I do like that, that it doesn't stop him from launching more ships. It's more the fact that, like, I, I he just has no... Yeah, he's just, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a great moment. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a sort of the part of the plot of this film is like, you know, Quatermass, and we'll get to some bits as well. I want to go back to the very beginning, but Quatermass acts as the sort of... Um, if this was, if this, you could flip this round, and he would be the villain chasing, um, you know, his his the, the MacGuffin that's got away, the space MacGuffin that's got away. Like he'd be the 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 scientist chasing down ET or Mac or whatever, right? That's who he, he sort of comes across as at times. And there's a great conversation with him and Karoon's um, wife um, when she sort of confronts him because he says about uh, you know the two that have gone and, the, and then Karoon sort of being she, she, you know, we have to do this work mm. test on him and she confronts him and says you don't care whether he lives or dies you, know, you really don't care and he says well you know even even dead he will be seen as a national hero like, he went up and he went to space and did this amazing thing like he'll be seen as a national hero and she's like yeah as a dead hero and he's like still a hero like it's this attitude <laughs> like, this slack. There's still this like, lack of compassion. It's it's there's a blind ambition to achieve to barrel forwards, which let's not be you know let's not be coy exists in the real world and has driven us forward in technological advances. But when you see it in, on screen in this way, you do go, yeah, that's that's not good. You're welcome, because you know my country <laughs> did, did all of that, and we're the greatest country in the world. And you're welcome, Henry Ford. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, it is that kind of, like, capitalist uh, sort of, um, you know, unapologetic capitalist. It, it does remind me of Henry Ford. That's sort of mm -hmm. like, well, I don't, you know, if I don't, if, the, if you don't like what the newspapers say, just buy them. <laughs> you, know? Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, it's less about wealth here. And it is at least tied to some kind of, like, scientific know-how a la Tony Stark. Mm -hmm. But, you know, yes, you, I mean, absolutely. He does seem to be the villain um in some ways yeah um I, I i do the thing is though whilst being the villain i do like the fact that like there is a level of authority there like you know he is going to continue to try and at least sort of trying to do the right thing um however again i know it's a film and they've got to progress forward i like the fact that in the first opening like you get the ship crash in the field, in the farmer's field and stuff. And the fact that this thing landed, crash landed back in Britain um, mm -hmm. is, is, you know, insanely uh, coincidental. Um, but fine, you know, there's, there's always ways of explaining that. Um, mm -hmm. And I like it that when he turns up and just everyone sort of just accepts that he's actually in charge and, you know, like the fire brigade, the police, everyone's just doing as they're told. Um, well, even, yeah, even when it sort of that seems counterintuitive, like he's told them not to do something, then he tells them to do it, and they're just like, all right. Well, there's even that, you know, I found that very bizarre too. And there's even that newspaper headline that says, like, uh, Quatermass refuses a police inquiry. <laughs> like, <laughs> what, what is the system here? You know? Yeah, there's, there's no checks and balances on this because it just says Quatermass says no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, and I could imagine just like, that was probably the interview. Brian Dunleavy's just gone, no. You go, all right. Oh god! The um, cops come to your house. I mean, they've have, they haven't even tried that in Iron Man. You know, like yeah. you know, lots of people are dead when you were flying drunk, Tony. You know, Tony says no to inquest. You know, it's, I thought that was yeah. very bizarre. Um, there's a little bit, of that, and it, it feels a bit like 
they're sort of like, you know, we know this is going to be looked at, but we're going to propel past it. Like I can imagine in the TV show, there'd be more time given to that, but we're like, we can't address that. Move on. Um, uh, but it, it is quite funny. It moves at a pace. I mean, that's the one thing I do like is, is pace. But I mean, if you get past Quatermass, um, you know, um, the the one that the we'll get to the bigger. There's some issues I, I found quite interesting, especially relating it to like uh, Elon Musk and and sort of like private private technological endeavors. But the one thing I would say is he said about the alien before or the the the, the entity. Um, I like the fact that one of the things that you and I have talked about before is we're not huge, huge fans of the humanoid alien. And this film sort of gives you something incredibly alien. Like mm-hmm. it's a plant, possibly a plant-based energy life form that sort of leeches energy off things and then like uses the last of the remaining astronauts as a host and then metamorphosizes his body into something in today's, if you were to say, he would end up like being, again, pretty humanoid. It'd be sort of like scaling thing. Nope, it's a massive blob of mm. like stuff. Uh, I, I love the fact that there was there's no compunction to go. Oh yeah, yeah, no, we've got to see him walking around a lot. So let's make him, let's make the final alien look human or whatever. Like they go full alien. What, what were you, what were your thoughts on that? No, I I love exactly that same thing. Um, I think that, like, you do have him because he's possessed. You do have, you know, this actor going around, the surviving astronaut, uh, Victor, as, you know, the human identification figure. So you still can have the alien be human without it really being human. But you get to that final thing, and it's the, you know, it looks like a sort of, like, cross between the blob and a giant spider um, Mm -hmm. in a scaffolding, which is cool, in, in Westminster Abbey. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's a lot of fun and, you know, that's kind of like, oh, that's the FX shot, right? That is the, the big climax. Um, so I I think it's, in in some ways it's more traditional than you're describing, but I agree a hundred percent that, you know, we both love that, like make it the aliens alien. And so I, I love it for that. It's doing something very ambitious uh, with that. But I do agree that if they did it again, like you would have like some sequence on the ship that would be like, as we're as we're on the ship, we're envisioning the like, what are they going? No, no to on the on the ship. If it's, you know, invisible. Yeah, it's, it's an invisible thing that possesses them. I think if they remade it, they'd say, like, well, what they're seeing is Keanu Reeves, you know, uh, a vision of Keanu Reeves. Because there's a couple of things with what it ends up being, because it's I mean, because it starts off like a locker room mystery. Like Mm -hmm. you've had one you've had one uh, um, astronaut left and there's two, you know, uh, missing. And like the fact that they give you the evidence straight away, that they'll go in and be like, no, no, they were, you know, these suits linked suits and they haven't been opened so then they must be somewhere um and they're like you know they look at it and they're like well they can't get off the spaceship there's over them to go they're not here so where are they um and then it's it's revealed later and they could that's the good thing about this i'd like to have seen the full tv show because i'm sure it's drip fed even more um, is that you know they say later on uh victor caroon breaks into a like a chemist shop um and attacks the guy there and again it's a nice scene 
the guy's trying to help him and it reveals his arm and it's all messed up. But when they finally get there and find him, they sort of look at what he's been doing. What was he after? And it's this combination of, of drugs and chemicals. And they're like, well, Victor Caroon wasn't a chemist. And they're like, no, but Green was. And you realise yeah. that, like, oh, he's absorbed. Like they, they, they've sort of said it, but like, no, he's absorbed the other crew members. Like, and there's these nice little reveals. Like, it's it's done really well. Sort of like, you have to earn some of the bits and pieces that's going on. So, um, well, and, and I think that's that's like a, you're that you're right. And I hadn't thought about that. And and that is uh, possibly a leftover from that earlier version because, mm. you know. Um, you know, I know that the the original ending is that they're still in there, and you can that's, yeah, appeal well, that's, to them. Yeah, but, but that a, doesn't come back. It's just there, and and that's a cool idea, right? Mm. But the idea that like because the idea in the pharmacy scene is that he's trying to get drugs that would kill him, and they say, yes. well, what you know? So apparently, that's Green fighting to kill <laughs> the host yes. to kill all of them. That's a cool idea, but that's the, that's like a leftover from this earlier version. Yeah, and there's other bits and pieces like they, they seem to build up to this ending. They build up the film builds up to the TV show's ending, and then you don't yeah. get it because <laughs> um, you get that that one scene with the chemist. You also then get the Frankenstein sort of scene with the little girl. So mm. there's a little girl playing next to a canal uh, with a doll, and um, you know, then sort of uh, Victor Kroon turns up and she sort of tries to make friends with him in the most aggressive way possible for a yeah. little girl. She's like, Do you want to have tea with me? Do you want to play with my dolly? Come play with me, play with me. She's really creepy. Like, I, I think uh -huh. that's that's why he runs away. He's like, No, but he sort of like, he, he sort of it's totally Frankenstein where he sort of lurches yeah. and then it stops him and he runs off. So, there is there's this whole thing throughout the film of it's the human trying to continually fight the alien. And we should, we should sort of explain this in the, in the original, um, the, the, the creature is cornered and Quatermass confronts it and talks it into committing suicide to save mankind. So there's the same ticking clock that it's going to spawn and it's going to do all this other stuff. And he talks into committing suicide to sort of save people. And again, it's this, you know, that sort of, uh, I can't imagine Brian DeLevy would just turn in and be like, kill yourself. You're a pain <laughs> in the ass. Do it. Like, you know I you've got a duty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so in the in the original, it was it was about compassion. It was about understanding. And it's about the human, this idea of humanity and stuff. But obviously they don't get to that ending. They just electrocute it and execute it. And so these things, these scenes they've kept in don't ever really come into play. They're good, and I like them, but they don't really come into play, uh, which is a real shame. I, I don't understand why they didn't do the ending from the TV show. It doesn't seem to make any sense. But Well, I mean, I, I feel like I, not having seen the ending from the TV show, that's a very passive ending, right? Um, you, you've got to have that, that monster kill a bunch of people before mm. you've justified that ending without it feeling passive. And I think especially, I mean, if, you, if you're making the decision to cast an American for a larger audience, you probably want your Marvel, you know, ending, ending with, you know, <laughs> got to have some punchy punchy. Yeah. But especially the thing again, going to Westminster Cathedral, you know, having that thing of, I, I also love, there's another thing we'll get into in it, but like, um, uh, if you're going to go to Westminster Cathedral, 
and you're going to go, you know, there's got all these religious connotations about the sacrifice and all that kind of stuff. And then not to have that play out as a theme. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. like such a waste. Um, but it's yeah, just I, a backdrop then, right? It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah. not symbolic, you know. I mean, I'm an American, so it's like, oh, yeah, that's Westminster, you know. Yeah. I've been there, you know. I remember that. Yeah, you, you, know, you may have watched may have watched a 50s documentary about its restoration <laughs> according to this film <laughs> right you know i love the i mean you know I, as a bbc aficionado you know it's fun to watch the the bbc but, but also the weirdness of like the way this is structured like finding out oh, the camera's broken you know i love the initial mystery and then you know well we've got the camera and then and then only then did they say oh well the camera cuts out now and then it was designed yeah. to do that it seems like so many of those problems could have been solved with one-liners right like the mm -hmm. the guidance system was able to bring it back down in britain at least okay one sentence right um one sentence about why you know the, the government defers to this guy as a as a private uh as you said elon musk kind of guy um you know, it would take one sentence early on to just say, well, we'll see whether the film is there. But, you know, you have a sentence about how it cuts out. Just mm -hmm. get that as early as possible. So that doesn't seem convenient. It also apparently can cut to shots of the dials. You know, yeah. there's a line. There's a line for that. There's a line for that, which is probably one of my favorite moments of that section. So there's a, they go to like a shooting room where they're showing the footage and they're all sat there in little cinema seats. And at one point, it does it, it clicks from a it goes from a shot of the astronauts in this in the shuttle to this shot of a bunch of dials and you hear in dialogue that quatermass just goes oh that's uh, that pivot shot that we installed worked incredibly well and then when, <laughs> and when it goes back to him he's basically sort of elbowing his one of his mates in the ribs like yeah that was that worked well didn't it uh, he's so like yeah, yeah yeah look at another achievement that i've added into my ship um so, yeah, as they use it as forensic evidence for the for the deadly yeah, <laughs> yeah. so um yeah it's it's but, but what i was gonna say like the bbc has to cut transmission and they do it twice but it's <laughs> like you know why do you do it twice just you know just streamline this plot do it once i don't know but it, it is it is wonderful having that tilt shot as they tilt upward and it's like you know look what's up there <laughs> Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I kind of like the idea of what they do with the ending of this. Like, it's all caught on. The fact that it's caught on camera, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously sort of, it's twofold. It's a bit of a nod to the fact that it was a BBC uh, show that was shot live. Um, but I I also kind of like the fact, and we said this with, with uh, Quatermass in the Pit, like, you know, there's evidence of this. You know, there's yeah. now there's now film it's broadcast across the BBC. This thing is in is is there in in you know Westminster Cathedral. Um, it's there's no denying it. Um, and so uh, yeah, I, I just I I find that kind of interesting that it's not sort of like you know we've kept this hidden. It's whatever. It's like, oh no, we broadcast this bad boy by accident or whatever. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, you know that 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 whole thing. I I do think there's just think it's the the ending. Like there's more. There's a there was a much better ending to this that could have played out. I'm afraid. But well, uh, I mean, I did find myself thinking about like like that hijack signal that you know uh, that was very famous, where 
you know, you can watch it on YouTube and it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, people saw this live and we saw and figured out exactly how it was done. But, um, you know, there are going to be people to be, you know, the British government is going to deny that this happened and people are going to say, no, I saw that on TV. Yeah. And then, of course, it's the same British junking thing that destroyed the uh, original episodes and half of Doctor Who, you know, will, you know, destroy the originals. Um, well, so what was the better ending? So well, I said just that end, I, I like this ending of you, you see about, you know, a, 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 um, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a letdown or whatever, this idea of it being talked into committing suicide. Mm-hmm. I think the thing is that you, you need the stakes of, of what is it doing. And I think one of the things they remove from this story that I think is a mistake is Karun's wife. Mm-hmm. She sort of like she plays an active part throughout the first sort of half of the film. You know, she's not shy. She confronts Quatermass repeatedly for basically being a dick. She's like, you know, you you've got no compassion for the crew. You you know, this is all just about your blind ambition. Like she's got, no, she's not afraid to face up to him to the extent that she goes out and hires a private investigator or whatever to help her break her husband out of mm-hmm. hospital. Um. You know, and that is what causes because then he goes off on a he goes and runs off into the night. But it's basically sort of like the shock of seeing his arm drives her crazy, almost drives her out of her mind, and it takes her out of the film. Mm. And I think you know, th- then you're reliant on Quatermass and um, uh, whatever you know. Then his cronies, like there's a couple of people. There's a, there's like the world's least effective detective from Scotland Yard. He basically just takes phone calls and then follows Quatermass around. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's all he seems to do. He takes a phone call and says, "Get Quatermass," and then they go off to somewhere else. He just stands there. He's useless. Um, I think, what I think I would that like was to... the plot of one of those uh, Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes movies. Yeah, basically, <laughs> the thing is, I say, there's so much in this one. We said we said it with we said it a bit with Quatermass in the pit, but there's so much in this that I see in early Doctor Who, mm-hmm. and it's it's no wonder that, that that Hammer then picked up the first couple of Doctor Who stories and remade them. As, as TV shows as well. But one day we'll cover those. Um, those I quite like stories. them. Yeah. yeah, I think they're good. I think they're good. Uh, they're different. But um, what I would like to have seen is if we're going to keep the Dunleavy um, Quatermass and he sees it as executing it, you know, as he, he, he does not see that there's no, there's a human element left in this. It's almost like, the, you know, that sort of thing of saying, you know, that's not your husband anymore. Kind of thing, like that's because that's yeah. where he's at. That's where his head is at. I would say, okay, take keep that because he's that too. Then keep the wife, mm. and so you've got the ticking clock of it's going to spawn, it's going to do this thing, but then it becomes almost like a race between her and keep someone with her, and uh, you know between her and Quatermasters who can get to the being the blob first, who can get to the alien, the the Karoon creature first. <laughs> And I'd say to have it be her and then have that um, the moment where yeah. she's the one that she recognises that it's no longer her husband. There's no safe. And she's the one that convinces it to commit suicide. Uh, that That's the, that's the end I'd want to see. If, uh, you know, it's almost um, when I was thinking about this and I was actually thinking about this morning. Have you, have you seen American World in London? Mm hmm. So, um, and I've, I've, I've had this debate before. The end of that film is, you know, David turns into the werewolf. He goes mad in London. And at the end of it, they've got, he's, he's cornered. 
and um, what's her face? Um, the nurse, and I forget. Oh Christ, what well, can't remember the actress's name? That's terrible. Um, that he's he's been dating, sort of um, steps forwards and um, tries to talk to him. Um, you know, and sort of like you see the werewolf's face, the eyes sort of like droop. It looks sympathetic, and then it snarls and jumps. And I, for, part of me has always said there's a part of David in there that that was almost like suicide by police. Like, you know, there was too far for the mm-hmm. werewolf to jump. It was suicide by police. That was the end of the film. And I felt a bit like there was that, there could have been that in there. That like she, you know, like she ends up breaking through the police line. It's her that sort of like, you know, it doesn't attack her. It wants him. You can feel that there's, there's a, bit of a way of conveying it. Like, you know, there's a struggle. There's a, uh, you know, uh, within the alien creature. And she's the one that says, you know, if you're still in there, if you still care for me and our species or whatever, you know, the only thing you can do is to kill yourself. And to me, to give it then that choice, I think would be would be quite satisfying to me. Like I don't, you know, we don't. We've said before, we don't need that big, mm. dramatic ending. I mean, if you want it, you can sort of, it can jump on a big spike or it can do something. I don't know, but I think that would be way more of an interesting, interesting angle to me than than it's sort of compassion versus science and duty. Um, yeah, I, it looks like J- Jenny Agutter. Jenny Agutter. There you go, Jenny Agutter. Yeah, um, yeah. She she's she's she lived in my dreams as a as a, a young <laughs> adolescent. And uh, if you've ever seen Logan's Run, another film maybe we'll do one day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oof, that costume. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. even remember it, and I've seen it in the last few years. Uh, <laughs> so I guess I had to be younger. Um, <laughs> you know, I had dreams about Diana Troy. So ah, you know, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. <laughs> On less masturbatory topics. Um, <laughs> now, I, I agree with you 100% about the wife and that the wife is an important sort of foil to uh, Quatermass. And I, I don't like that she goes that insane, right? You know, mm-hmm. I, I mean, there are a lot of shrieks in this movie. Everybody's yeah. response is the shriek and then die or shriek and go insane. I do recognize like the shrieking and going insane. I mean, that's all also a sort of Lovecraftian, Lovecraftian. cliche. Yeah. Right? But yeah. I mean, I find that while it's possible to do it well, right? And and I get what you're saying about the Westminster, you know, the symbolism. Um, but I find the um, sort of like you're still in there somewhere kind mm-hmm. of cliche painful and Mm -hmm. i usually just hate it you know it's like it's such a deus ex machina it's such a Mm. way of getting out of you know so many bad movies use it i kind of like the 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 you know maybe it's because i'm a yank but i like the (laughs) you know fire you know fire kill it uh business but i agree with you about her and how she's dismissed too early. I think some of the the most amazing stuff is, is the best stuff is um, getting him out of the hospital and mm. the scenes with the wife. Um, and so I think having her there to try to appeal to him, and you know, you know, sort of like say, no, we've got a break, and then say, yeah, this isn't working. You know, I, I've got to say goodbye to my husband. Um, but then that would be a whole different sort of like that could provide a whole different emotional through line through the film where she becomes really, you know, another primary character of sort of, you know, you see her 
get that phone call of, you know, uh, the ship's landed and, you know, you really focus on her more. And I think that would be a much more successful film in my eyes. Yeah, I think you know she should. She, like you say, the actress who plays is very good, really strong, and I think, like you say, she she, um, she she's notable by her absence in the second half and stuff, and I think it's a real shame because, yeah, she's a really good presence, and she's like I say, she keeps quite a massive line at times, <laughs> and call and calls him on stuff, and there's so many moments in the later part of the film when you would want to be like, oh, yeah, she, you know, this is the like you said the emotional through line of this is actually, um, you know her coming to know, to re- this realization of like it's not her husband anymore or there's something more going on um, I, I understand what you say about the cliche of like you know you're, you're in there and i've seen it and like say it's a true cliche it's been used god knows how many times i would say like you know i don't know how much of a cliche it was in mm. 1955 um or even 54 when it was originally used um but yes it's a sci-fi trope isn't it i mean even the fly you know, we've we talked about the fly in the in the last season, and and that very much has a similar ending of of, of Seth Brundle putting the when he puts the shotgun to his head, and 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 asks Gina Davis to to shoot him. Um, so you know, which is a very sort of similar sort of tale. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's there's just a sort of a um. And maybe again, I'm just so used to the cliches. It's interesting, but this thing of like the instant execution, the sort of like you know the ah shoot it kind of sort of thing of just, just mm-hmm. finding a way to kill it off and killing it off is usually the sort of the resort of the militaristic element. Like you'll have yeah the cliche would be they'd have like the SWAT team there or the military there, and they're the ones going like I mean you almost it almost comes back in. Quite a mass in the pit that when you do have the army there, they're the yeah. ones that are sort of like being in that that vein. And quite a mass is the the more intellectual sort of like you know compassionate response. Here he's the one that's like ah, kill <laughs> um, and so I, I don't know. It, yeah, I understand it. I don't know. It just it just feels so cutthroat towards the end of this film, mm. uh, and it's it's not a changing character. Like he's been like that throughout the film, mm. so it's not like it's a change of quite a mass. It, it just sort of it just feels a little bit too if anything it feels too straightforward like you know yeah well i find myself wondering a couple things about it i mean i like well to me i like um you know we're gonna we're gonna be looking at uh you know some use of like 50s miniatures and stuff like that mm-hmm. um you know i love the fx shot right so Mm -hmm. like i i like the money shot of like here's this alien you know up in the rafters and then you know what are we going to do with it right obviously we can't animate it and have it like get in fist fights with people um so you know we're going to show it being burned you know and and shoot it through the windows and stuff and you know i mean that it's it's 55 right i mean Mm. that's gonna that's pretty money shot uh, fx stuff you know so I mean, I'm down with that, but I did find myself thinking, as you say, I mean, I find myself thinking a couple things. One is, um, well, I mean, how do you know what its life cycle is, right? They're like, they're they're sort of guessing it's going to split up and then, well, you're right there, you know, like shoot the parts. I mean, how do you know how it's going to split up and it reproduces every like, you know, you know, 80 seconds or something like we've mm-hmm. not seen anything like that in the film. 
Um, but the idea is clearly like civilization, or at least London, is about to be destroyed, right? So you've got to get that stakes established in dialogue. But I find myself thinking, you know, first of all, how how do you know that it's going to be destroyed by fire? Yeah. You haven't successfully destroyed any of these things. There's that slime on the floor that just, I guess it's dead. It just like, you know, went for these mice and, and, and you know, broke out of its, its tank. And I guess it's dead on the floor. Um, there's slime like on, on the wall from where, you know, the, in, you know, it's supposed to be in Westminster uh, where this, uh, you know, sort of repair guy uh, who was doing the restoration fell from the scaffolding. Is all that slime potentially alive? Um, mm. How do you know fire's going to... I mean, there's just some biological things there that I'm not quite sure how they know. And then there's nobody who just said, who says, is there any way we could contain this alien life? Like, maybe it'll prolong this astronaut suffering or these three astronauts suffering, but... And God knows the pharmacist and everybody else, but, <laughs> like, you know our first encounter with alien life and we're just going to kill it. I, I, it doesn't sort of sufficiently sell for me. No, if you were to take the Andrew Keir Quatermass from 67, the Quatermass in the pit mm. version, that would be his stance. Mm. But, you know, because for two reasons, firstly, we've seen that the smaller version, the one in the lab starved to death couldn't get to the mice in time it starved to death and so they sort of leave it so there'll be there's, there's a version that just says all right well isolate it then yeah yeah we haven't got to do anything we've just got to capture it and we've got to isolate it in a big tank you know and if anything you can be like i can imagine creator must be like look if we can isolate it it can't spawn it can't travel anywhere we can try and communicate with it let's see what can happen it's this instant let's kill it that just sort of feels so out of place. I should say there's a couple of things to note. So there's a, the alternative ending. Nigel Neal, who obviously wrote all, writes everything Kratomas. Um, he obviously wrote the original TV show, um, hated the casting of, of Brian Levy, um, hated the way that they changed the character um, and said, like, it's not his, you know, hashtag not my Kratomas. <laughs> and when he, he was tried... very ahead of his time. Yeah. Using hashtags <laughs> in the 50s. Yeah, no one knew what he was on about. <laughs> uh, and they were like, what are you saying, Nigel? He's like, oh, hashtag, you know, <laughs> I'm out. Um, and uh, But yeah, he tried, apparently he kept trying to get himself involved in the film and the BBC stopped him because he was a contract, he was a contracted employee with the with the BBC and said, no, we we own the IP and we've now sold it to, to Hammer and they can do what, what, with it whatever the hell they want, basically. <clears throat> um, so get back in your box and write the next one for for the next year. But yeah, he was he he made it very well known, especially later on, that he really did not like this version of of the retelling of his story. Um, and to the extent that he kept pushing for the BBC to redo, because obviously a lot of the footage was lost, to redo later on um, Quater, the Quatermass experiment, and it was in in two thousand and five. Um, they redid it as a as a uh, on a BBC Two, BBC Three, I think. Um, I've, I've got it on DVD, but they redid it as a live broadcast, uh, and they oh, they wow. maintain they maintained the original ending and all this other stuff. It's, it's very good. Uh, Jason Fleming plays Quatermass, and he plays him a lot closer to how I expect him to be. So if you know, this is the fifty five version, and that's what we're talking about. But there are other versions of this. 
um, out and about in the, in the ether. But the 2005 version is worth seeing, I think. Um, but yeah, it's just said that the original creator doesn't like this version of Twaithman. <laughs> Is, is quite an interesting sort of take. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, I, I like, it's interesting, you know, you were talking about, like, the, the Doctor Who connections, and, you know, mm. we're, we're in the weeds as far as, you know, like, the, the BBC history here, and, you know, the connections there. Um, you know, and, and I know last time we talked about sort of, like, the, the that Quater Mass is sort of, you know, um, you know, ready for a franchise, you know, ready to, to be brought back, you know, mm. um, albeit not this version, right? Not, uh, <laughs> you know, because this is, I mean, you were saying, you know, like the solution, just shoot it, you know, it's a, it's a, I, you know, I'm a Michael Bay apologist, but you know, it's a little too Michael Bay, you know, uh, <laughs> it has its place, yeah. you know, like I said, there are films that, that there are films and there are characters where that is the right response. You know, sure. Um, you know, it just Independence it just... Day is not going to be made any better by adding uh, metaphysical yeah. themes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, it just doesn't seem to work. It, it just feels out of place with this character, mm. um, and that's where it, this the ending is. You know, the, the sort of and that that was always Nigel Neal's um, bugbear was that you know you you've you have, you've made him too aggressive. I think the term he said is you've just made him too uh, brusque and too abrupt. You know, he does he doesn't feel like he's thinking anything through. I think was the quote I read. Um, and I, I can see that in the character. It it's weird. I mean, this is you know, it does almost feel like an American version, right? Like you know, hmm. those those Brits would have all died if it weren't for the manly American who took charge and just said, "No hesitation here, we kill it." burn yeah. it you know those brits would have wanted to negotiate with it probably or or establish some kind of communication with an alien we know what yeah. to do with aliens <laughs> over here i said yeah we yeah we'd have had a referendum about it and then <laughs> and then we'd have all quietly grumbled about it taking over the country <laughs> we shoot first and ask questions <laughs> later and that goes for aliens and that goes for schools yes <laughs> yeah yeah, there's a, yeah. There's a line. I don't know if you've ever seen this. Uh, I think it's quite relevant recently. Uh, I'm watching Ash versus Evil Dead, mm. and there's a, a line in that where Bruce Campbell says, "He says, he says, uh, shoot first, think never." Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, that, that's the thing. That, that was know, our it, foreign policy for a lot of years in Latin America. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, but I do think like that's the point. Like that it, this leans into something, and again, I love the sci-fi elements of this film. I love the concepts. This idea of this alien thing that's come from space, and you know, the fact it's not a little green alien or whatever. Like you know, it's not. There's no flying saucers. This thing, it, you know, it, it it just exists in space, and that's the other thing as mm -hmm. well. And they they just sort of they just come to the conclusion as well. There's a lot of that of just going like, what if there's this. <laughs> And this concept they come up with just happens to be spot on. But I like this idea of like, no, there's this, this, there's this energy being or there's this thing. It just floats around in space. And when it gets an opportunity to do so, it will cling to a new life form. And then it will spawn and it will spore and then it will go off and do its thing again. That's a really cool idea. You know, these the, sort of the sci-fi concepts in this are really yeah. cool. Right. And well, so first, first thing that's cool is like there, there's something living in the vacuum of space, right? Yeah. That 
you know, the place where we at the time would have thought was the most lifeless. Now, interestingly, we know that's correct. And we know that, you know, spores uh, can survive in space and reconstitute themselves, you know, come out of hibernation. So at least we know that that's a more conventional form of life. But I mean, the idea that obviously 99.99% of space is, you know, not filled with uh, Star Wars uh, meteor, uh, you know, uh, asteroid belts and stuff. But um, yeah, but yeah, the worm, but um, right, it's it's a void. But we also do know that like they they were onto something here, you know, Mm. thinking about that. Secondly, I mean, I, I don't know why that being would not fall to Earth, right? But maybe it's not affected by gravity. Uh, but I like the idea that it's, I mean, they just hypothesize that it's an alien being. But I, I mean, that it's a um, energy being. But I mm. like that, you know, it's like, well, why would we built these walls like to keep radiation out and to keep oxygen in? What if there's, you know, how do we know that? you know, uh, to another being, those walls aren't just porous. Um, it just goes right through those walls. That's a cool idea. Mm. Uh, I think where it fails is it, look, it's cool footage. I love the mystery. I love the footage of like, what are they reacting to? Um, it could be, it could have been done a little better, but yeah, I mean, I love that mystery and I love that footage and I love the central premise of like, Mm. as you say, something truly alien. I, I, yeah, I think I think all that really works really really well, and should, especially if, like you say, we've talked about these things and we've gone back to the fifties and constantly said like the concept of this is really cool. I think the fifties sci-fi has got some really cool ideas. The other thing I'll say that I find interesting is the is the spaceship itself, mm. and it's very sort of it's fifties. It's very you know it's it's on a budget, which is fine. However, I'm fascinated by the fact that they kept it incredibly utilitarian. Like, there's no fancy tech in there. It's like mm-hmm. a submarine. Mm-hmm. It's 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 basically a tube with a couple of beds in, and you know they've got a hatch that takes them down to the engines, and then they've got like a, a panels with with some sort of uh, with dials and some tech on. That's it. Yeah. And he says, I think he says he says they've they've gone up to is it fifteen hundred fifteen hundred miles above the face i think at one point they drop a line to how far up they yeah. went that was the idea to go up and come back they've gone up 1500 miles that's you know again so they've, they've cut these ideas but i love the fact there's a great shot when they do the footage mm-hmm. and it's to show that there's no gravity so obviously mm-hmm. i don't think they sort of understood that but there's a guy sat at the desk and someone walks up the side of the wall mm-hmm. and then walks back down again and i'm going yeah that's a, and it's just there it's a it's a, it's a, it's a it's a physical, non- it's a practical effect. It's a, well, yeah, it's a practical effect. But more than that, it's not like an effects payoff shot. Mm. It's not, they don't draw attention to it. It's just a sort of like, well, we've sort of got to show it's in space, so we're going to do this. And it just sort of like caught my eyes. Like, oh, that's a, oh, that's an interesting little piece to add in there to what is basically CCTV footage. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just thought it was a really cool little idea. Yeah. No, I mean, so there's a lot to say there about you know, that design. First of all, I love rocket ships. I love the mm. sort of like 50s rocket ships. Did, did you, um, did you, we went, sorry, I was say before, because we also mentioned before from when we went to, when we talked about When Worlds Collide, again, mm-hmm. I said, you like this, the design of the spaceship. I love that. It's that cylindrical yeah. sort of thing with the wings on and stuff. I think it is. It's a really cool, uh, very sleek design. I, I love those. I love those 50s designs. Um, mm. And 
you know, I was th- I was thinking of like uh, Destination Moon, which mm. you know maybe we'll we'll watch someday. But you know that also has like a you know a classic rocket ship, and the layout there is very important of the ship, and it's bigger. Um, but there again, you know, like a lot of times you watch these these uh, movies and you think, boy, you've got a lot of room on that ship, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, especially compared to like the Apollo, uh, you know, uh, capsule, and you think like, you know, men just you know cramped <laughs> up inside, and it's like, hope there's not a fire. Yeah, uh, it's just horrifying, like tight quarters. Um, and even, you know, the International Space Station is, is maybe about as roomy as, as this rocket ship is in mm. 55. Um, so, I mean, I had simultaneously the thought, like, boy, that looks absurdly roomy for 55. And then yeah. the thought of, like, well, no, they, they've, they've got it a lot closer to right than, you know, other visions of rocket ships at that time. Where space is just, you know, it is cheap. It's going to look like an apartment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got room well, for your monkey. There's there's a couple of bits that I find, because it looks good. Like It's basically, because they, they, they acknowledge that they, all they had was a cabin. Like they, there's, again, a drop line of like, oh, there's just this cabin and the rest is fuel. Like, they, mm-hmm. this yeah. it's long. So, they, again, it's it's well thought out. They're like, oh, they're just this bit. The one bit I think that's funny and again, it's sort of you're not supposed to ask these things, I suppose. When the spaceship crashes and it crashes mm. head first, or you know, point first, so it's got like its wings sticking out, and then the door opens, uh, and the, the astronaut comes, you know, Victor Caroon comes sort of rolling out, and then and then Quatermass and Suthers go in, and so they walk into this ship, mm. and then when they go in yeah. the cabin, the cabin's the right way up. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And I was a bit like, wait, wait a minute. How does that work? Like that is it on like a gimbal? Is it like rotating round? Like it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, there's a couple of moments like that where I'm like, we're not supposed to ask this question. We're just supposed to sort of carry on. But mm. yeah, that's a good point. I, I honestly I hadn't even thought of that. Um, and but it would have been even cooler if they had because obviously they've got it, you know, on some sort of thing to achieve that FX shot, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're rotating it, um, and and it does seem. Like, I like that they do that. I felt like they it's the obligatory, like, this is in another gravity. We've got to do something with that. We can't show zero gravity. So what we're going to do is just do this. I mean, they do act oddly like gravity is enhanced. Like, they're sort of stumbling around and, and really struggling with this. I think um, it's supposed to be like magnetic boots or something like that, isn't it? But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looks it looks awkward. Although I love that shot, I was impressed with that shot too. Um, but you'd think that since they were doing that anyway, that somebody could take that that set and once you're done with the astronaut shots, you know, put it on an incline, and that would have been a really awesome, you know, mm. experience. You know, how cool would that have been to to see those characters navigating this destroyed, you know, at Interior. an angle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they they have a couple of like pipes hanging out or some wires hanging out, and they sort of you know just to sort of throw you some notion that it's a bit disheveled. But other than that, it seems perfectly fine and on the right angle. Um, I I found myself more troubled by like how do you survive? Like, there's no cushions. There's no like <laughs> what what is the mechanism that keeps anyone alive? 
Yeah, how did Karuna survive this? Because he should be a pancake on that wall. Like, yeah. And the fact that the spacesuits are all in the same place uh, they were when the alien invaded the ship. Like one still lying perfectly on the cabin, bet on the over the cabin. I'm like, wow, that's uh, that's very neat. Um, yes, no, it, it is good. That I like the designs. I think that's the thing. Um, and because I like the fact that I said, I think they've gone for like an element of realism, if you will, to then make I think the alien seem more shocking at the end because um, hmm. you know, you see, it, it, they've tried to keep it quite grounded but I also think they've done that to sort of highlight the horror of what the alien does to the human um, you know because there's several it does kill several people and when it does it sort of saps some of their life force or whatever hmm. and their juices or some, some sort of like vampiric act and when you see them it's sort of it's part of their heads like is a, you know eroded away to reveal sort of like skull-like mm. remains in this uh, and I, I like that again it's a good effect it looks good it's not over exposed um and, and you know as a sort because this is a sci-fi horror film that they are trying to show you some sort of horrory bits so again it's another it's a nice little um touch for a mm. film you know, in 55 um so I, I do like those when you see the sort of the private investigator and, and the the chemist and they showed that little part of the face as being mm-hmm. sort of one. Like, well, I thought that was quite cool. Yeah, I like that too. Um, I I want more of it. I mean, it seems mm. like it, it looks good, but it's designed to be seen for two seconds, you know, before you you cut away, so you don't look too closely. Um, I did think that uh, like that was one of the more successful victims. I did think that the um like the private investigator who conveniently is killed in the, the elevator. Like yeah. that's kind of a cool scene, but then, you know, like the, the wife doesn't say like, Hey, where's that private investigator who broke you out? <laughs> you know, I'd like, they've literally just left his corpse there. That seemed a little convenient. And then the, the pharmacist, um, that, that is, uh, of all of the sort of like scream murders, uh, mm. It is the most melodramatic and the quickest, you know, <laughs> as he sort of screams and um, and then apparently he's been shoved into a closet. Um, like the the alien doesn't seem to show that kind of concern for anything else. Yeah, right. And and it's that's not the the other astronaut who's a chemist who's trying to apparently trying to kill himself. Um you know, because he has no interest in like hiding the evidence of where they are. If anything, he'd want the police right on his butt. So it's a little strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is a little inconsistent. Um, yeah, I, I like the fact that like the first thing it does it like, before it attacks humans, it looks for energy because that's what it's doing. It's looking for. It's not looking just for humans. You know, this isn't this isn't sort of when I say it's vampiric. Like the first thing he, he attacks in that way is a cactus. Yes. You know, and then later he goes to a zoo, and you see that they've done the same. He's he's attacked animals in the zoo, um, and so it's not just humans. And I found that really cool as well. Like this, mm-hmm. the, you know, quite, to go back to that Lovecraftian um, horror kind of thing. That, that those Lovecraftian ideals. You know, they talk about this being at one point. Um, Quatermass and the other guy talk about this being a way of invading a planet, and it's not. There's no intent behind this. There's no mm-hmm. sort of like alien intelligence that's like you know, sort of like Mars attacks. We say, "Nice planet, we'll take it." 
it's not that it's just following its reproductive cycle it's just following its mm-hmm. life cycle and part of that is to get energy and the way it does it is this this sort of energy sucking act human plant animal it doesn't matter and so i like the fact that there's this sort of like there's no um you know there's no escape from it it doesn't matter what you are you are just you are potentially just food to it which i think's again a really cool idea that opens it up to it's not just you know it's not just a oh it's not just hunting animals this will destroy everything on this planet well i mean I, I, again that's another thing it does really well is the you know um the so often we see uh versions of this story in which they are just um obsessed with uh, human victims right mm-hmm. and you think you know well, what what's going on with the animals i mean it, it's true of like zombie movies too you know uh you know where you think what's going on with these animals how are they not affected um, yeah but i like that it's extended to plants um the cactus thing is a little weird because it seems like he sort of like loses control and like throws the the plant and it's not really clear and then the wife describes his hand as gray with uh you know thorns of a cactus um you know, so it's like, has the cactus, like, become part of his hand? Uh, you know, like, that's a cool idea. Like, he's got mm. sort of, like, a porcupine quills on his, his arm. Like, he's some sort of animal, vegetable, mineral man, you know, uh, kind of thing. That's a cool idea. But it's not really followed through. No, it's never clear. But there's this, there's this constant theme of absorption, isn't there? Like, mm. you know, they talk about the fact it's Karoon, but it's also green in there and the other, and the other astronaut... And then this thing with the cactus, it's sort of like the thing you see at the end is 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 a blob. It's almost like it's it's an amalgam of everything that's gone before. And that's again, the the reason the point is at the end, the original ending of being able to reach into that one thing, that one thing amongst the many is in that, that you know, that that you know, intelligence, whatever you want to call it, but that human intelligence, that little bit, that spark that's left. That's sort of like you know the the triumph of the end of the original ending um, isn't isn't like I say isn't followed through in this. But I do like this idea that it's absorbed everything. Mm-hmm. You know, everything's absorbed, so it's a bit cheat, it's a bit cactus, it's a bit human, it's a bit whatever, um, and it's so become this sort of like gelatinous mass of all these different things. Um, is is quite a cool idea. Like it's not it's no one thing. It's just it's just everything. It's just going to devour everything and you know absorb it. Yeah, I quite like that idea. I I, I do agree with you. I want more of it, right? I yes. mean, I want the like the cactus thorns. I mean, I want like what is what is the uh, what is the cacti consciousness like? You know, <laughs> uh, I, I I want that stuff. I love that weird shit. Yeah, the potential for that, and that's why I think, like you know, again, if you were to revisit this with a, with a modern eye, you could do so much with mm-hmm. this of looking at thing around consciousness and uh, you know, and this idea of humanity, and again, and communicating sort of like you know, this idea of if it was not just um, absorbing energy or essence, like it was absorbing some sort of consciousness from each of these things as well. So this idea of being able to communicate and the human element coming at back and being like, yeah, I've, you know, communicating somewhere like, yeah, I've communicated with animals now. Like I, you yeah. know, Doctor Doolittle style. Like I can now <laughs> understand all this stuff. We're doing terrible things to the planet and all this other shit. Like, yeah, you could you could bring all kinds of things into it. Like, um, I like that stuff. 
I feel bad for some of those those animals in the zoo, you know. Um, you know, it's hard not to when you see them, you know, and you think like, what what is its life like? I find myself wondering about that kind of consciousness anyway, uh, plant yeah. consciousness, animal consciousness. I don't know where that zoo is. That you know, where is it that it's right off Westminster? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, there is a London Zoo. I don't. I think the geography yeah. of the geography of this film is a little short, <laughs> as is often the case in the films. You know, when they go like these four landmarks, they're awfully close together, and then you, look, and you go, they're really not. They're not. You know, and I know that for for any city in any film. Um, well, I mean, we, you know, we make films here in America in which Washington, D.C. is filled with skyscrapers, you know, yeah. uh, and people go from skyscrapers to like the, the National Mall, you know. So like, it's hard to fault the BBC or to fault Hammer in 55. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, yeah, so I do love that, this idea of this, this, this alien being, this essence. I think, I think you could do that. Um, what I like, though. And what I find interesting is we go back to is go back if we go back to Quatermass in '55 um, when we've talked about this with the other films as well. There's this sort of optimism of discovery, this idea of going out and doing the re- doing the do. You know, oh, we're going to build a rocket and we're going to do this stuff. Like it's this new frontier. It's very sort of Star uh, Star Trekky. It's really cool. Like they are, they're doing an awful lot of stuff, and I kind of admire that. That, like, you know, yeah, all right. His attitude towards it's probably not the healthiest, <laughs> but there is. There's a real sort of like I don't know. You know, we we've sort of like we've done this answer to this. We've built a rocket, mm-hmm. and you know what? We've sent it up. And you know, he's not entirely wrong when he says, "I've sent a rocket up and I've got it back." That's quite an achievement. Because mm-hmm. she's like, "Yeah, do you know what? It sort of is." Um, however, like you say. I do question the ethics of private, uh, even today, private um, enterprises, you know, conducting these kinds of experiments because it's that thing of like, where's the checks and balances? How's it being funded? What's it, you know, what's it? And I always laugh. It's it's the vice. It swings and roundabouts, as we all say, because I think, uh, I've seen things where you talk about the spaceship that's been built for uh, by the, for NASA, which is obviously government funded, and you see it's built by a contractor who basically could put in the lowest bid. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, but in, in, you know, in, enter, in an enterprise, a private enterprise, there's there's concerns there as well around sort of like compassion and ethics and that sort of thing. I don't know. I, 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 I sometimes I, I ponder on these things of like, okay, so if Elon Musk, Elon Musk or you know, um, one of these Bezos. others, yeah, Jeff Bezos. If they do this, like, you know, what's that mean? Where's the, you know, where's the, um, the controls for that? Well, I mean, I think it ultimately means that we failed. It means that government failed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm with you in the sense that, I mean, first of all, I love that optimism too. I think we should still have that optimism. Mm-hmm. Um, if there is one thing that we have seen, I mean, think about how primitive the world was in 1955 compared to mm-hmm. today. Um, you know, I mean, we're recording this on the Internet, yeah. you know, through one of a million different uh, programs that does the things like this. 
that have been integrated into our lives so that people don't have to go to schools or go to work in the middle mm -hmm. of a pandemic. Like that's amazing. And we should be in awe of that as, as humans that, you know, we as a species did that. That's also one reason, by the way, to trust the scientists and, you know, maybe not be such a dick about, well, you know, I, I know better with my with my conspiracy theories and know nothing mentality. But I mean, I still am an optimist. I mean, I think mm -hmm. that if humanity doesn't destroy itself, um, you know, we have a bright future. And, you know, uh, the, the arc of history is long, but bends toward justice. And it also bends toward greater technological achievement and also greater um, societies, bigger societies of non-zero sum organization, you know. I mean, one reason why I am pro-EU among many, you know, it's just, you know, we're stronger together. Um, mm -hmm. and th there are benefits to that. Um, so, you know, I still believe in that kind of optimism. The SpaceX thing and this sort of private thing is, you know, I feel like I love that we're doing that. I have, you know, I think ultimately what's going to happen is, you know, I mean, the first thing that's going to happen is we're going to mine the hell out of the asteroid belt mm -hmm. and, you know, it's all going to be sent back to earth on, you know, like ion drives that are super cheap, you know, and take years to get back. But, you know, you do it super cheaply. I mean, that's what I think is most probable. But I mean, eventually, you know, you're going to have, obviously, we already have um, paid trips into outer space and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at some point, you're probably going to be able to, you know, get to the moon, you know, uh, if you pay enough money. My problem you know i have the same qualms that you probably do about that being private my concern is like look government has failed uh you know when i see these launches i think you know thank god because i don't want that future to be private either but i want that future and i don't mm -hmm. know that humanity has a future if we don't do these things quite frankly um if anything else, it's insurance. You know, <laughs> we don't have all our eggs in one basket. Yeah, but then you get the difference of saying, you know, well, I suppose, I suppose government's not any better, but like, you know, it's, it's that thing of the gatekeeper ness of that. Then, if it becomes a capitalist endeavor, you say that you know, then it becomes of like, okay, well, then there's that, you know, you or I are never really going to probably afford to be to be taken to the moon or even up to space. It's you know what was it? Oh, I think we will. We'll just be flying it and peeing into uh, bottles <laughs> while we yeah. while we do it for minimum wage. That's true. There will be that. Yeah, we'll be in the luggage <laughs> compartment doing something. But it's yeah. It, I don't know. It, to me, it, like you say, it, you're right. To come back, government fails. I mean, you know, the the fact that, that you know, even in the fifties. There was a, a notion that we were going to have the British Rocket Group, mm -hmm. you know, and you know there is still there is still now in space. <laughs> yeah, I we love gonna, it. We were going to have these things at one point, and then we sort of went, "Nah, it's too expensive. We've got enough problems." Um, you know, if you if only you were part of a consortium of other know. kind of rich countries, <laughs> you know, that together could pool your resources and do something like that. And especially when you, yeah, especially not just, yeah, just like financial and intellectual resources and, and really sort of like, you know, we've done something special on this front. That would have been amazing. And, 
I mean, it'd be awesome. Like, you know, I hear the Germans used to be really good with rockets. They're good engineers. It'd be really cool if you could, like, pull your resources with those dudes. Yeah, well, they probably, unfortunately, what's going to happen now is that consortium is probably, is probably going to um, do that. And then we're going to have to pay, you know, an extra 50 <laughs> to 150%, you know, input duty to actually do anything to actually access it at all. Um. But yes, no, it's true. I, I don't understand why, you know, you see these things. Australia is sort of doing stuff again. You know, they're trying to do things. And I think it's fantastic. I, th- I think these these endeavours are important. And I, of, I often think back to, you know, not 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 um, too far after this film was released. Obviously, you know, Kennedy saying by the end of this decade, we'll, we'll put a man on the moon. You know, th- there's just a drive that I think. Nobody knew how to do it. Right. I mean, that was just an idea. That was a theory. Nobody Mm -hmm. knew how to do it. And we threw look at the percentage of our GDP that we spent on, you know, that on the NASA program. It was shocking. You're spending like, you know, uh, 10 percent of your GDP on, you know, in some years. That was an aggressive thing. That was a wonderful thing. And nobody knew how to do it. We just decided it probably wouldn't have happened, frankly, if he hadn't died. You know, because then yeah. there was the impetus to to really do it. And we were fighting the Cold War. So it was like, hey, the Russians beat us in the space race, you know, and like, you know, 20 something out of 30 points. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was that other impetus. But yeah, I mean, we should be doing those things. But the, the flip side is like we're, you know, like we're not in the alien realm yet. Right. Of like total corporate, you know, catastrophe. Um and I think that, you know, there is room for hope. There is, you know, there there have been a lot of technological progress that uh, I am really optimistic about. Yeah, I'm just waiting for the day that uh, Elon Musk reach, changes his name of his company to Wayland yutani and then, and then I just know that we're done for. Yeah, um, don't say that because Elon Musk is, you think about what he's done, <laughs> like Dogecoin and stuff, yeah. like he's, he might do it just for the, yeah. the shits and giggles. Yeah, he may buy the rights off Disney and be like, I wish to name my company Wayland Yutani. Um uh, yeah, I, it um it is it's it's, it's a double edged sword, you know, because I, I do think more should be done. And I do look at the world and I look at the sixties and you know, I, I don't want to glorify the sixties because they were a difficult time for a lot of people. There was other stuff going on, you know, I'm not gonna say sample the civil rights. But in another way, there was a huge sort of like, yeah, things could be better. We can do something. We can move forwards. This, you know, the, there's a reason that the counterculture movement really kicked off in the sixties because there was this idea of hope of like, you know, yeah, we're moving forwards. We're looking at a better future. The age of Aquarius and all that crap. Like, we 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 haven't got that right now. And if anything, we've edged away from it because of this ridiculous nationalism of sort of like whether it be America first or Brexit <clears throat> for you and I. But you see it across other areas as well. You know, you see it in Italy and there was other, these other countries with this idea of sort of like shrinking the, the scope of a country to be more nationalistic. And you should be going, no, 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 <laughs> let's pool our resources. We've all got fantastic mm-hmm. people, fantastic talent, fantastic, you know, uh, minds in our countries 
don't hold them on don't hold on to them let's share this stuff and start looking to the stars let's look into these things you know and, and start looking at ways of doing things and i think at the moment as well you know we've only what we're on the verge of 5g and people think that that causes all kinds of problems like i don't think the conspiracy don't... theory nonsense yeah yeah, I mean, well, I, there was, I there was an attack in your country on those towers, right? There was, there was, there was, because yeah. you know, which made me. Uh, it, it was it, that is a literal luddite attack on technology. Uh -huh. You know, whether it be a printing press or a five G tower, like there's a literal luddite attack. Um, it baffles me, but again, like this is this. You know, we go back to this idea of like, I remember when, whenever there's, whenever technology advances in a certain way. People, there's fear. I remember, and well, this isn't uh, this isn't me yearning back to a yesteryear. This is literally when they turned on the CERN super collider, and there were people that were like, oh, "It's going to happen on this date, and they're going to flip the switch, and the, you know this, this collider is going to go get turned on, and it's going to do these things, blah blah blah." And it's this big, and they show you where the donut runs under the runs under all the mountains and these places, and you go, oh, "That's amazing." The flip side is it could turn the Earth into a black hole. Well, yeah, I thought that the theory was it could make a mini miniature black hole that then grows and basically, you know. Engulf the world, yeah. yeah. And, and so, uh, you know, so there's all these things that go like, well, the percentage chance of that is this. And there's like, you know, there's right. all these zeros and then a one at the end of it or something like that. And so they're like, so really, it's pretty safe. Like, you know, we're quite mm -hmm. confident this is going to happen. But there were still news headlines of, mm -hmm. you know, mad scientists want to destroy the world you know to prove god particle or whatever it was that they were doing at the time and you just sort of like there was there was yeah <laughs> there was i mean i don't i don't know if it was religious based but there was this thing of like you know this new crazy technology sort of like you know what's it going to prove sort of thing and every time we have these technological potential these technolo technological advances there's going to be the people that just sort of go no 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 because you know it's dangerous or whatever and you do that, that's the unfortunate. That's when I do sound like Brian Dunleavy, and I'm like, switch it on. Yeah. Switch it on, do it. Well, um, right. Well, I mean, so I'm going to say something totally optimistic. Um, you know, I am at my best when I remember we're basically chimpanzees with skyscrapers. Okay. You know, we did not evolve to make rocket ships as cool as we think we are. Mm. And that is. Um, we're chimpanzees living in skyscrapers. So we're still really dumb. We're still really concerned with sex and food and, you know, immediate stuff. Uh, our brains are not optimized for long-term thinking. Mm -hmm. So with that in mind, think about how far we've come. It was not that long ago that the idea that we didn't live in a geocentric universe cause somebody to be have their life destroyed you know um we're not you know we are not that far from burning witches you know i mean okay so you know we are uh there's still this kind of like fear but if that fear manifests itself as some newspaper headlines and some conspiracy theorists on youtube instead of you know putting galileo on house arrest you know, we're actually, we're actually doing pretty well. Like that's a good yeah. progression in, in a relatively small number of years. Um, but it's that wider view that I find lacking. It's, you know, 
in the long run, I mean, what Quatermass should say here is, look, we've got this thing cornered. I don't know how we know it's reproductive life cycle, mm-hmm. but <laughs> we've just encountered alien life for the first time. And yes, it's deadly to us and it's dangerous, but we seem to have it cornered. There's not a lot of life in the scaffolding inside Westminster. Let's capture this somehow. We don't really have to worry too much about it getting away, but let's make sure that we do. And, um, you know, that would be incredible. What is, how much better is that than destroying it? Um, And so looking at the scale of hundreds of years, I get it. We all have to eat. We all have our immediate concerns. We get horny and we care Mm -hmm. about our families and, you know, that's natural and normal and fine. But, you know, the thing about nationalism is, sure, it is normal to put your kin group above the larger group, to put your nation above the larger nation. Of course, you should recognize the non-zero sum possibilities of working together that benefit everybody. But in the long run, we'll all be dead, as George (laughs) W. Bush brilliantly said. And um, in a thousand years... Your nation and my nation probably will not be on this planet. Um, You know, and the world will still be here. You know, uh, the apocalypse isn't going to happen. You know, the rapture is not going to happen. And so maybe let's make sure that while we take care of ourselves right now, we also optimize for where we are as a species in a planet in a thousand years. Because that's really going to matter. That's, you know, ultimately, um, of course, nobody's paid to think like that because, you know, we got to win our next election cycle. Yeah. And, and that's obviously where democracy starts to sort of fall down a little bit um, because it's about the immediate cycle rather than the long term. Um, I'm not saying that I'm advocating. I'm not saying I'm advocating any of the political system, but I'm, I don't have a solution to say well, that's one, that's one reason why, you know, as, as, as weird as they are, I mean, you know, Bezos and Musk have some of the freedom to not worry about that. I mean, you know, it's a miracle we did the space program and it needed Kennedy's death. And, it you know, Johnson was able to funnel all this money to it. Uh, you know, Nixon was able to complete it. It was basically handed to him, um, you know, and he was able to complete it. But... Um, that's very rare that you have three mm-hmm. different administrations being able to work like that on such a massive project. Uh, never would have happened without the Cold War. Somebody like Musk or uh, Bezos, who doesn't get enough credit in this regard, is, you know, for all of their problems, and I'm not ignoring any of that, they can, they have the freedom to ignore elections. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, they can think, they can think bigger, I suppose. I mean, you know, when you say that, there, there are two things that sort of spring to mind. And the, and the first one is, um, uh, you know, one of my favorite shows ever is Yes Minister slash Yes Prime Minister. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there's a thing in that where, uh, so Humphrey Appleby talks to um, uh, Jim Hacker about, Jim Hacker being the, the minister. So he's obviously got a face of voters and that sort of thing. And, and Appleby being a civil servant. And at one point, Hacker calls him out on not fully supporting one of his ideas. And he says, I've been doing this for 15 years. If I followed every minister's you know, decision and stuff to the letter, I'd have been a staunch unionist and an anti-unionist. I would have been, you know, I'd have been for the EU and against the EU. And he goes on through things. And at the end of the day, I'd have been a complete schizophrenic. 
He says, I am here as the civil service. We have to think long-term, not just what that, what the immediate government wants. And it's obviously a play for laughs and stuff, but it's, it's true. Mm-hmm. You know, you see this, and this is one of the things I hear from teachers and stuff a lot is, you know, about the education system is, well, yeah, you know, the, the last government wanted to do this, the new government came in, we've got a new education minister, and they think that it should be done this way. So we're going to have to change the curriculum or adjusting the curriculum. So the last four years is now going to be different to the new for the next four years. And then after that, we'll probably get someone different. So we're going to have to adjust it again. And the focus will move from math sciences into something else and then something else. Or we'll have all the money taken away from music and put into drama. Or like, there's net, there's, we, we call it, we say there's a status quo. And there clearly is within within parameters, but within those parameters, it's a little bit up and down all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I suppose that's the problem is you don't get to see that long term view. But you're right, people like Jeff Bezos and, and, and Elon Musk can do that because they can look to the bigger picture and sort of say, "Yeah, that's that's what we need to be doing. Here's where the future lies. I'm going to make some, you know, big back, big sort of like daddy books out of it. But that's where the future's got to lie." And the other thing you made me think about is I saw a picture recently of, of Jeff Bezos literally driving a sort of um, a, a lifting robot akin to what Ripley rides in mm. at the end of Aliens. <laughs> and, and there's a part of me that goes, that's cool. And there's another part of me that sort of just thinks, oh, that's that. <laughs> this isn't going to end well, is it, really? Like, <laughs> you know, how soon before that's armoured and going into war sort of? Um, oh no! I mean that that's clear, right? I mean that yes. we're already fighting wars with drones, right? I mean mm. that will be armored and at war. It just will be a robotic pilot. You don't probably need the the human pilot. Um, but I mean that's going to happen. Um, so I mean, you know, I I am pro drone. I am pro human cloning. Um, mm. Not because I don't think there are ethical issues with both, but I want, I mean, that's, these are things that are just going to happen. <laughs> you know, you, you yes. can't tell Barack Obama, like, stop droning because, you know, no, the issue is transparency. We want <laughs> transparency, right? You can't say, like, we're going to fight wars endlessly with boots on the ground. No, this is the way it's going to be. We might as well get ahead of the ball, but we need to be transparent about it. Human cloning is the same thing. If we don't do it, the Chinese are going to do it. I'd much rather it happen under American supervision and mm. with American patents involved or EU patents. You know, let's do it that way. But you can't stand in the way of of progress. What's of progress that it's yeah. a, you know all the ethical debates will be handled later. You know, we'll figure them out. You know, that's well, I don't really mean that, but there was a, there was a I want Twitter mass. Yeah. Well, you know, in the long run, he's a dick. But yeah. if if the end result is we got into space in 1955, yeah. you know, I, he's, he's not hey, wrong. That's awesome. He's, this is the thing. It's again, it's that thing of like he's not wrong, but it's the <laughs> way he go, it's the way he goes about things is probably you know there's a way of I think the characterization needs refining at this point. Um, but you talk about progress and ethics, and I think that's the other thing is about the ethics of this of sort of like you know this. The thing of sending humans up and, and you know, you don't get the context. You don't know what he tested before. There might have been a whole bunch of chimps or dogs or whatever has been sent up beforehand. But um, ethics in science always ba- is, is always concerning. You know, they, they uh, recently I saw 
combined the DNA of humans and chimps, or is it of a monkey? It specified what they literally created an egg, a fertilized egg of a chimera between human and an and ape DNA. And then they let it sort of gestate for a certain amount of time, and then they terminate it and stuff like that. But there's a part of it, it's like you say, it's going like, it's a bit like Jurassic. You know, I always think back to Jeff Goldblum's line, you know, you're so busy about what you're asking, you know, just deciding whether you or seeing if you could, you never stop to see whether you should. But that should is is irrelevant. Like so at some point, progress always goes forward. It's going to go down some dark alleys. I mean, in this season, we're going to talk about Gattaca, and that's going to open up some really interesting conversations on that front. But again, like you know, space travel is interesting because th- this thing, like you said, the, 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 you know, he sent it up without any sign up. He lit, he literally gets called out for it, and he's, you know, the, the minister of sort of says, "You sent it up without authorization, you know, without the proper paperwork, blah blah." blah. And he says, "Quatermass' response is like, if I waited for you, there would, you know, you would never get anywhere. There'd always be a status quo." And that's fair. He calls out the government on it, and it's, he's right. However, there's also this thing of like, well, you it returns and crashes into a farm. <laughs> you know, mm. could have killed anybody. We don't know what radiation. The thing comes back with an alien on it for a start, but you don't know. What, <laughs> you don't know what radiation it's going to come back with. You don't know. This thing could have like landed in a city or a village and yeah. killed hundreds of people. Like, did, what was your return plan for this thing? <laughs> In the long run, it doesn't matter. But that doesn't mean that you can't have civilian oversight, that you shouldn't have, you know, government ethics there to say, you know, look, I mean, you look at uh, you look at what NASA did in the space program and it's astounding, you know, especially I mean, we burned a bunch of astronauts alive in in 67. But, you know. Uh, you know, I mean, and, and obviously all astronauts deserve some credit for their courage. But, um, you know, it's astounding the safety protocols and, you know, backup systems and how much money and energy and, you know, mm-hmm. just the best technicians on the planet working on, you know, backup systems and safety concerns um, that we didn't need to do. I mean, we could have just, you know, I mean, the Soviet Union wasn't doing it. <laughs> but yeah, I yeah. mean, there's a role for that, too. There's a balance to be struck there. Um, but I mean, I, and I don't want to sound like Ayn Randian, like, you know, Quatermass, you know, can't be held down by, you know, the, the you know, the, the common folk who want to restrict his vision. <laughs> Humanity is steered forward by such visionaries. But, uh, you know, in the long run, I mean... You enough time passes, and you know it's like, hey, you know, um, yeah. I mean, in the long run, like you say, th- th- those three astronauts would have a plaque on a wall that just to highlight, you know, that they were heroes. And Quatermass would have developed technology that would then go on to help further rocket ships. So it is. It's, it's again, it swings around about d- duty versus the greater good. Um. You know that sort of thing as well, um, but th- this is where I honestly think that Quatermass is due a return mm. in this day and age. And I said it when we we did Quatermass in the Pit. I just think watching this film it, even more so. This I, I want a sort of a grounded sci-fi series like this. It's not all about interstellar travel, but we can try all kinds of things 
and just has this science basis, you know, at the bottom of it all. It's going to be sci-fi science, but you could then use to deal with sort of things like the ethics of these things, and, and you know, we could we could deal with some of this stuff in the modern age. Yeah, no, I agree. Now, would your Quatermass be? Uh, because even if he's a nice guy in this, right, he's still the Elon Musk, right? He's still mm-hmm. that's a very different guy than the sort of like uh, scientific expert sort of, you know, government scientific Sherlock Holmes of Quatermass in the Pit. If you are to do a series or a revival, where would you strike that line? I think I would. So if you watch, I think I would do something like we will do. Right? I definitely recommend watching Quatermass Two as well because there's some interesting bits and pieces in that. Um, I think I would look at having an arc for him. Like he would start at this point. Like I would have him as probably in his mid to late forties. You know, he's worked his life. He's been, you know, he's lived in a laboratory. He's worked. That's where he's lived and worked. He's dedicated his life to this thing of. Uh, the British Rocket Group, or the you know whatever it is that he, that he works for, this private endeavor, and I I would say that this first I wouldn't have the ending that this has. That, that that ending of him just basically storming off like some petulant little child, and just saying I shall start again, it just pisses me off. But I think this first series would be him. It would you would go from this mm. version to the the Andrew Kerr version mm. because I think you would you then you'd start with this version that's sort of like no I'm doing good I'm bringing around the better world you know I'm doing this for the greater good I'm trying to save the world or whatever just being so sort of obsessive and belligerent in in its in his um, barreling forwards with these ideas and then you would start to have, you'd start to see it chip away that you know this is the impact he's had not just on the astronauts but the astronauts had families and and because of him these people have died and this other thing and you go okay actually there's ethics involved in this like i've got to rethink some of this stuff that we're doing and i think i would build on it and over you could do like four or five seasons and you end with quatermass in the pit where you get to an older guy that's like yeah do you know what like we've you know we've got a I would, I would have him. I liked your idea of capturing this thing, like him being the advocate of saying, "No, no, no, look, we've got to keep this. Like, you know, we've discovered mm. this thing, and we've got to capture it and, and do whatever." Um, um, or again, like, you know, yeah, but that's that's I just thought of something else I want to mention. But that would be my journey. He would go on a journey from sort of like traveling from the Brian Dunleavy version to the <laughs> Air version. But I like him starting at this point. Like, if he's dedicated his life to this, this is his mission. This is his goal. And then almost to see that taken away from him because it's a bit of a bloody clusterfuck, then fine, do that. And then have him mm. learn. And as he encounters more things, learns that, you know what, this is a big, crazy, weird world in the, or universe that we live in. And we've got to be a bit more, a bit, a little less bullish about it all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's be a bit, and he gets wiser as he gets older. And then you end with that version that's a bit more wiser, a bit wiser and a bit more, very like, concerned with the civilians, you know. I mean, yeah. fighting the military, advocating for common people. Yes, that sort of and journey from that. I think that would be yeah. a really interesting sort of because the thing is, we've had all these characters. Um, of, you know, Sherlock Holmes doesn't change. Mm-hmm. You know, like you sort of use it as, a, as an example, Doctor Who, he changes from character to character, like, from actor to actor. But there's no great arc of him learning a great lesson. It's just adventure after adventure. You know, always being on the side of good. 
I think this idea of having someone, especially in this day and age, because I think it'd be interesting to have a character that's so obsessively scientific or scientistic that they'd be like, bloody anti-vaxxers, ridiculous. People mm-hmm. can't be wearing masks, ridiculous. Like Literally, like, you know, vehemently hating on all these people that are sort of anti-science. To me, start, basically. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah <laughs> but, but in a more sort of like almost you know, looking down them and then eventually coming around and sort of say, and, you know, not wanting to understand where these people have come from, just what, no, they're all morons. Because, I mean, that's how Brian O'Leary comes across a little bit in this. I mean, there's several people he talks to who's like, shut up. And then they, he's just that sort of like, I'm the smartest person in the room. Everyone do as I say. And I want to see him travel past that and become this thing of going like, no, we need to educate people. We need to have information available. We need to make this understandable to people. You know, I understand that I've lived a life of inter- of academia and inter- you know, and, and scholarly uh, development. These people haven't. I need to. Pro- I need to be able to. Do- I need to protect and help support these people. These people. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I was with you until the anti-vaxxing and masking stuff. Um, so I like the arc of him, sort of like coming to realize, like, yeah, these astronauts had family you know like and and sort of softening as he gets older right i mean i Mm -hmm. I like this arc but that's within the context of his own concerns and his own scientific endeavors you know um and his own response to you know different alien encounters or, or what have you um you know when it comes to, I mean, look, uh, I mean, the world, but but certainly both of our countries are beset by, uh, you know, anti-science contingents. Mm. Um, and I think that there's only so much compassion we can have. I mean, I I, I am on the side of this, you know, mean version of Equator uh, oh, Mask. Yeah. When it comes, I mean... You know, I just think the oh, the only proper response is to say, "Shut the fuck up! You're <laughs> stupid." You know, why are you on TV? You know, we are going to uh, oh, question no, your license yeah. if you put these people yeah. on. Don't don't get me wrong. Like he's not going to become soft. Like he's I would I wouldn't have him become a complete softy and sort of like say Molly coddle them. It'd just be more of a sort of like instead of just saying like you know, you're stupid and you're wrong, sort of as a, in, 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 in shutting it down. I think it's this journey of sort of saying, no, no, we, I have to, we, you know, we have a responsibility to educate and to make sure that people understand this. But then it also, but that that then goes against. So the battle then changes because his, mm-hmm. his initial battle would be a head-on. Mm-hmm. It would almost be like he would be going onto Facebook or Twitter and taking on the anti-vaxxers, and he'd be the one debating with them and like getting nowhere because they're not going to take it on. You know, they they don't believe him because they're not wanting to believe. And his battle would then become would switch to go in, right? Well, in that case, then I'm I, I you know I loathe Fox News, I loathe you know Tory propaganda, I loathe these things. They're the things I've got to take on. They're the things that I'm now saying to the government: you need to stop this crap because this is the thing that's polluting our country, and is actually making it. These things are coming from somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, like. I would happily have a part of an episode, you know, because obviously there's only three real stories. There's you know, right. Quatermass Experiment, Quatermass Two, Quatermass in the Pit. There's more stories to be had there. Uh, other seasons, Let, I'd love it if you know, in an X Files kind of way, Quatermass versus Big Tech. Mm. 
you know, like he's going on. Now, what you're doing here is great. What you're allowing to happen on your platform is crap. Yeah. And, you know, I don't think he would lose almost all of his brusqueness because that's not who he is. But it's against it's that learning of how to direct it, where he needs to be fighting his fights. So, I mean, obviously, you're you're talking about sort of, uh, you know, I mean, setting this in the, the present day. If if the first one is, you know, him starting out as a sort of like Elon Musk uh, figure, um, you know, does he get into outer space? I mean, what's the you know, obviously he's got some sort of SpaceX kind of kind of thing going. Right. That's fine. That's easy to do. But what happens? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know what doesn't don't these episodes change you know, I'm imagining that you're talking about, you know, sort of like each season is sort of like a mini series of, you know, mm. like eight episodes and telling the first one, Quatermass 2 and, you know, Quatermass in the Pit and maybe new stuff in between and, and after. But um, and, I, and I like what you're talking about. My question is, how do you envision like, one of the things we've talked about in both of these movies has been how like the world has changed as a consequence of these events. Right. Like you yes. pointed out. People are aware there are aliens, right? After yeah. the first one. Um, and by the third one, it's like we've all seen like the devil in the sky, you know. This Yeah. I think I think you it would be. I think, you know, I'd probably I don't think you could change could I do it as a period piece? No, I don't think I don't know if it would work these days. I think you know, it's too um it would be too distant. So I don't think people would engage you. I think you need to have it in the modern day. But I think it. I, I would have it. Yes, I would have. Um, it would start in and yeah, it would start in present day, normal every what present day, and then basically you would create your own the what I suppose the quater the quaterverse. Let's call it that, <laughs> where yeah, the events of the first series have an impact. You know, mm-hmm. however, let's take let's take things into consideration. I mean, you know, events happen every day. Yeah, this is an alien sort of like you know. Again, it would probably be about scale. You know, this is a single alien ramp going through London. I was going to say rampaging, not wholly rampaging. It's it's going through London. Um, this event happens. Yeah, do you know what? Several years ago, we had our own bombing attack. We had a, a bunch of buses blown up and that. And we, we off air, we were talking about during the eighties, we had the troubles with Northern Ireland. You know, you guys had, you know, in America, let's not forget nine eleven. Like, you know, we remember these things, but they have an impact. But the, you know, it has to be sort of nine eleven had an, a national conscious jerking effect. You know, it was broadcast live on television and had this massive impact. I can see that if you, you know, it needs to have a real jarring effect. I can really see that. If you were to do this, this episode, and something like the alien at the end of this was to get on TV, you would have Quatermass be the one that's saying, yeah, right, the genie's out of the bottle. We now need to be engaging with the public. I mean, think about the end of, oh, it's not really in the, it's in the TV show, but in the end of Quatermass in the Pit, like he goes on air and he's like, yeah, no, we've got to face up to the fact that actually, you know, human life started on Mars and we're not humans, we're crickets, basically. We've got to get yeah. used to that. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. And walks off. That's, I think, is the end point of the show. Like that to me is that end is the end end point. 
is him actually, you know, but in this one, it, you get maybe get a glimpse of the alien and then the government switch it off. And then afterwards, it's like, oh, it was this, it was that, it was whatever. And it's Quatermass is the one going, this is ridiculous. Like, you know, we've got footage of this thing. I can't believe people are ignoring it. Yeah. Some people are saying it's aliens, but then it's getting quashed because others are saying it's this and that. And it's, it's it was 5G. It was whatever those would be conspiracy theories all around it and because of the conspiracy theories the truth gets lost in the mix because the truth seems even more ridiculous than two other conspiracy theories that exist next to it so it gets lost in the shuffle so the world doesn't change you well, know this is this is it's like a you know uh you know i'm a big transformers fan right mm. you know one of the conceits after the first bay film is that like uh, the government has, has, and it's not the only series that does this. It's like the government has successfully spun this as, you know, this didn't really happen. These weren't aliens. Yeah. And conspiracy theorists are like, no. And it's so ridiculous because it's in a major metropolitan city. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. got like cell phone footage of like Starscream transforming yeah. and rampaging through the streets. There's no hiding this you know it's like oh that was a mass hallucination it was a you know a sun dog no <laughs> but here you're right here they could successfully spin that yeah you know this is a very good point you could do that my question is as the series goes on that history is going to deform right you know you talk about like the equator verse right yeah. that history is going to deform right you're going to have um, yeah, oh yeah, it would grow. I mean, that's what I would have. Like the end result would be, I think, and and it would almost be like the I am Iron Man moment of at the end of it, like the end of the show would be him on the after the Quatermass in the pit, and being on a show, and his job has is now you're the expert. You've got to go on the air. You're actually you are now obliged as your role in the government because you've escalated up. You know, think of it like Jack Ryan in. You know, in in the, the Clancy was it Tom Clancy? Did this? Mm -hmm. No, it was his, um, you know, yeah. eventually becomes beaten president. Like I would have it like he's escalating through, and every now and then there'd be like, look, let's just promote him or let's give him a bit of a nudge, just a, uh, maybe a sideways move. It looks like it's up, but we're actually putting him out on a, and that would lead to the second story or whatever, like you know, quite the quite must too. But eventually, like, he then has got to a position where like, look, your job is to now sit on this panel. On the on in front of everyone on the TV, call it question time, whatever the hell it is, and you will tell them that what people saw and um, that hallucination that caused that riot in London wasn't um, the effect of a five million old or fifty million year old or whatever it is spaceship populated by life creating aliens. It was something else. And then him sitting there, and the final thing would be him, you know, having his papers. And he's got this dilemma of saying, well, I can quash this or I can tell the truth. And then him standing up and him telling the truth. I mean, it might be a bit cliche, I don't know, but him telling the truth and that's the end. He's like, no, I'm giving up everything now to tell the truth. Because that's actually sort of the story that Neil tells, Nigel Neil, is that the, but the at the end of Quatermass in the Pit, it drives Quatermass, not mad, but he basically drives him to a point where he is. He sort of says, I've had mm. enough, and he storms off. And he actually goes to live in the Scottish Highlands. And then there's a there's a TV show called just called Quatermass that was done in the eighties, and then Quatermass ends up having to go look for a relative. It's actually his granddaughter, which doesn't quite make sense because he doesn't have a family. But he goes looking and finds out the rest of the world's gone a bit potty. Um, um, but that that's it. It's sort of like that's the point of Quatermass in the pit where he reaches a point. He's like, screw this. You're all just you're you're just as bad as everybody. I'm out of here. Um, 
and that's where I want to take it to that we'd actually keep escalating and keep going on these adventures or we keep having these things where he has to intervene and it keeps building to this point of you are culpable in covering some of this stuff up. Mm-hmm. You're just as bad, Quatermass, as everybody else. You think you're this, you know, this bastion of truth. You keep fighting for the truth, but you are no more than, you know, a a culprit for all of this stuff. Like, you know, you are just as bad. And eventually that sort of like what grind him down each time he's had to do something. So, you know. I don't, that's, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking on the fly, but that's where I see it. Yeah. It would be the quate of us would keep growing, and there would be things like there'd be an acknowledgement of these things. But you could tell smaller stories that don't. I mean, the quate mass in the pit is the biggie. Like I would have that mm. be a mass event. Like that's something that I think would be cool. And I wouldn't have it just over Hobbs End. Like you know, you'd have some hologra- holographic thing over the whole of Great, you know, or you know, Central London. This thing is seen mm-hmm. for miles, like you know, that's what you want to see. Um, but uh, but emanating from Hobbs End, and so the government is still like, yeah, you know, this was uh, this was a 5G. prank. It was this 5G. Was, you know, yeah, it was some holiday. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a Banksy, and, <laughs> a laser laser air yeah. Banksy. You know, like, yeah. you know, you so know what those the, things you see at concerts. This yes, is just a more sophisticated version we of that. To, we, were, we, were, we were trying to make a big sort of 3D Kanye West, and it just didn't go well. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but that, that, that's, I don't know. What do you think? Like, th- this is where I would go with it anyway. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I definitely want more Quatermass. I'm sold <laughs> on that. You know, I, I like the idea of sort of adapting it to our current sort of serialized, uh, you know, style. I mean, finally. You know, I mean, we've talked about how these two movies, you know, try to compress too much, mm. you know, and now there'd be room in the current fashion. And also there'd be more focus on character, right, in the, yeah. in the current um, style of writing. Um, so you couldn't just have Quatermass appear and, you know, not say anything. <laughs> and so you don't know anything about him. Um, so a lot of those sort of problems would fix themselves um as far as like the sort of like distortion of the world yeah i don't know i i you know i you know the concern is always that you have to strike a balance between on the one hand being realistic to the plot and what it is that has happened right Mm -hmm. and and who Mm -hmm. would know right or or else you get nobody saw starscream on fifth avenue yeah um or so you've got to be honest about that, but you also don't want in the in the old classic DC and Marvel way, like you don't want things to distort so much that it's a non-recognizable universe. And I think that to you know one of the things that I am most excited by in uh, you know what's going on in in serialized fiction now is that we are allowing more of that distortion than mm. we did in the past. Uh, and so it, people are much more familiar with the concept of, you know, alternate timelines and, you know, an, an alternate history in which, you know, you can allow, you know, the idea that we're aware of alien life is okay. G- given time, I think if you, I could, if I could have, I don't know, five seasons, five, mm-hmm. eight episode seasons, you could do it where you could control that distortion because you could say, okay, well, this one has an effect on this. Like the first one has minimal effect. 
Quatermass all of a sudden starts appearing in conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's, he's never known before. You know, he's known as this sort of like he's known in, in this circles, but all of a sudden he starts to appear as you know, as a recognised figure within conspiracy circles and say, so, okay, well he's a bit of an embarrassment now, so we've got to keep him away from the public end. So he ends up getting a lot into this thing, which takes you into Quatermass Two. I'm not going to spoil Quatermass Two. In fact, I don't. I want you. To, we, we, we'll. We may do it in the future. We may just watch it because I'll have to watch it. It's a really good film. So you end up with Quatermass Two, and again you have to go. Okay, well, let's. Uh, we've talked about this with other shows we did. When we did, like, for example, when we did like Westworld, when we said like, but the, the impact isn't really thought out. Like, what's the eventual of this? You could do that and sit down and go. Okay, this is the story we're going to tell in very small pitch. The impact of this would be this and this. Like you said, who saw this? How would they deal with it? What's the technological advances from this? Bump, move on. And then you could do the stories. And then I would end with Quatermass and the Pit um, some years later. And I might even do time jumps between them. Like, it's not like, you know, because uh, I, I also hate that, that every year just happens to be some crazy adventure. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, so I'd probably do some time jumps between them. So eventually those five seasons would probably take us over a 15-year span. So you'd end up going to the future a bit anyway. Um, and so you'd have to take those sorts of things into consideration. So, um, you know, th- those are the sort of things I'd probably try and look at. Maybe 10 years, I don't know. But yeah, that's that's my pitch for whoever's listening to do, for, to do a to do a Quatermass TV show. Netflix, well, also, I'll, I'm you've, waiting for your call. <laughs> you've successfully sold me on Quatermass. It's been a joy to sort of experience this and discover this kind of... Uh, franchise that you know i wasn't aware existed it's an ip i think is massively underused um in in british sci-fi and stuff you know i don't know what the you know if nigel neal or the bbc own own the property or own the estate i I have no idea but you know i I, it's one of those things i've said before like you know doctor who's got comics Mm -hmm. and that's and that seems to be about it the doctor who comics are pretty good i've read a couple of them and they're actually really well written and stuff you know the paul cornell ones in particular are very good um you know even neil gaiman's written some so you know you get some heavy hitters i'm telling you now i I would love red dwarf i want red dwarf comic backs i want some quatermass stuff you know (laughs) why aren't these british sci-fi things in print like it's baffling to me absolutely baffling um, well, and then, and I think and then that, I'd have my big crossover at the end, which I've always talked about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that uh, speaking as an American, we love British stuff. Mm. Uh, you know, anything is more, you know, like if if French stuff has that Frenchy, you know, like uh, special air about it of sort of like sophisticated. But we don't want to watch the average French movie or TV show <laughs> because we think. Uh, it'll probably be too artsy-fartsy and black and white and nothing makes sense. Um, so the idea that media is French, you know, it's interesting to me. Like, there's no real, you know, uh, French um, IP that really has taken off here um, in, in the same way. But British kind of, you know, it's more approachable you know, you look at, you know, people are subscribing, you know, just to get access to the BBC stuff. Right. You know, mm. people watching The Crown on Netflix, you know. Um, and so definitely there is a lot of room for, you know, another sort of British IP invasion. And I think you're completely right that it is strange 
that we haven't gotten it because we're fascinated by anything British. There's always that that adds a, a, a niche market, you know, that adds people uh, just by that fact. Um, and, uh, you know, people aren't scared about it not being approachable. So, you know, all of this stuff should happen. Um, I'm a fan. I want it to happen. Yeah. Well, if they're listening, I'm going to... I'm going to reach out to a few people. There's a few things that are just in my head. I'm, I'm ne- it'll never happen. I'm like, I can't see myself working at the bloody BBC doing a showrunner for these things. But if they did it, I'd be fantastic. Um, but yes, it was just aware of time. So, Quatermass in the Pit, 1955. I've had a lot to talk about there. And, uh, Quatermass before- Experiment. So, yes, Quatermass, the ex- Quatermass uh, Experiment. And um, before we go, I want to say that the, the title is the Quatermass Experiment without mm. the E. Mm-hmm. And that was because this got the X rating. It did. <laughs> and which means nobody under 18 could go into the movie theater and see this. What the fuck was that for? Like, you know, <laughs> can you imagine a society so repressed that it's like, you know, oh, that, that slime mold shot is just too scary for anyone under 18 to see. There is. There's, there's a part of me, like, you know, like, I'll finish on this. If I could go back in time, if I had like the DeLorean and I could hit hop back in time, there's a part of me that would love to go back to sort of like, you know, the, uh, uh, the BBFC of the 1950s and just be like, you know, you know, that, that, that Quatermass film you've just seen, I'd like you to introduce you to hostel. Um, mm. Can you sit down and watch this? Or this is a film by an independent director called Quentin Tarantino. It's called Reservoir Dogs. I just want you to sit for an hour and a half. This was an 18 in 1992. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I've got this French movie called Irreversible that you should yes. watch. Uh, yeah. BBC guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I find... I find there's a there's a history to be written there that I one day I'd love someone to write and that is about sort of like censorship and rating system in Britain and how those things broke down because what we from where we went or what so from where we came to where we are now you know thinking about like things like the Exodus and and, and Texas Chains of Massacre and a lot of things that got banned to mm. you know to to where we're like yeah <laughs> it's now on BBC at sort of after nine. <laughs> Sod it. Um, well, it's a better world for it. You it know, is. as much as, you know, I mean, the, that repression gets nowhere. Yes. But yeah, no. So anyway, final thoughts. Quas- the Quatermass X experiment or the creeping <laughs> unknown, uh, outside of the UK. Yeah, it's fun stuff. I'm, I'm glad uh, I got to watch it. I'm glad you prompted me to do so. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that... Uh, you know, maybe it'll be uh, season four. We'll have to uh, do Equator uh, uh, Mass 2. We could mm. always uh, sneak it in. We could always add it. <laughs> what year was it? It was 56 or 57, I think, wasn't it? So, but yes, Equator Mass 2 is, is there to be done. Equator Mass special. Uh, well, so, yeah, I love this film. I, I, again, I, you know, Brian Dunleavy as Equator Mass is, is a bit of an interesting choice. But there's so much in this film that I just really enjoy. Um, and you know, there's there's more to be done, but it's just like again, it's one of those IPs where I'm just like, I I want more, and this just really whets my appetite. So, um, you know, it's not the best of the Quatermass trilogy, but uh, it's it's definitely you know, it's a great concept, great sci-fi, and so um, yeah, I recommend the Quatermass experiment, especially for the fifties. Like, it's a good, it's another really good fifties film. <laughs> So, yeah. Well, um, you know, uh, Quatermass 2 is 57. You know? Yeah, so, two years uh, later. 
Next uh, next time is Earth versus the Flying Saucers. You know, yeah. Ray How Harry Housen. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, fifty seven is right there, right after. I'm more than happy. I'm gonna be what I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm gonna be watching it anyway because I've actually bought it digitally. So. Um, well, let's let's put it in there between Earth versus the Flying Saucer and the Tinkler. Okay, we shall insert that. Let's you, do you, that then. We, you, we, you'll uh, someday I will call on you for a favor, yeah, and I will insert yeah. a movie. <laughs> in the meantime, I'm very happy to see Quatermass too. Let's do that then. I'm gonna, let's we'll have that chance to do that. Honestly, I'm happy, more than happy to do that. We'll throw in uh, Quatermass two um, from 1957. Again, features Dunleavy. Very different story and. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a it's a it's a corker that one as well. That's got some interesting stuff in. Um, okay, but let's, let's see. Decision on air. There you go, people. You've heard us. That's it. Sort of uh, like say democracy in action. Um, but yes, th- again, this has really enjoyed this one. It's been really good fun. So uh, I'm glad we got to talk quite much again. We will do again soon. But uh, uh, Julian, as always, it's been an absolute blast talking this. Uh, I hope too. you enjoyed it. It's great exploring the fifties. And watching yeah, stuff I haven't seen before. Yeah, no, this is all good. I'm really looking forward. I'm actually really looking forward to uh, Earth versus the Flying Saucers. I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. My money's on those flying saucers. Screw <laughs> these humans, man. Yeah. I'm so sick of them. I'm hoping it does take a Mars Attacks <laughs> twist, and we're both really surprised. Um, but we shall see. Um, anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you have uh, some opinions on Quatermass, uh, the Quatermass experiment, or anything we've talked about today, uh, reach out to us. At, at, uh, find us on Twitter at Pod Time Space, um, or if you want to email me or you know about the show directly, that's Twentieth uh, Century Geek at uh, gmail.com But ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we will be back next episode with Earth versus the Flying Saucers. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much, and we'll speak again soon. streams.